Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure you are following us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please do leave us a five-star review. It helps us more than you can imagine. Anyways, enjoy the podcast. We are back, episode 63. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe. Five stars reviews, start just for that intro. Um, and it's just a two-man pod today. Jake, how are you doing? Good, mate, thank you. You? Yes, we mix it's up the vibes. very intimate, this is, isn't Yeah, it? it's a bit relaxing. People, sit back, relax. Is that we should actually have candles. We should have a candle. A nice Yankee candle. Yeah. Other brands are out there. Obviously, we don't give free promo. I don't know any other candle brands, so I can't name any others. Even if I did, I wouldn't admit to knowing other candle brands. So. Oh, yeah, because we're proper hard football we're fans. men. Yeah, proper blokes. hard. <laughs> you're you're, you're blokiest of the blokes. Brexit we're, means Brexit. Exactly. All of that. Sean Dyche ball for, for days. Shin pads in training ball. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's one thing to take from this episode. Shin pads are training. Um, we've got to go straight into it. Spurs. <laughs> 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 oh. As if... Spurs haven't like given us enough content and dis- debates and discussion points all year. That it's just, I think they're doing it for us now. They are. They're a disaster movie, aren't they? It's. Um, do you remember Sunderland till I die? And that was like it was like they were doing it on purpose. Yeah, look, it's just written for it. Yeah, failure after failure after disaster after disaster, and Amazon filmed the wrong Spurs season, didn't they? Oh, definitely. And we all thought at the time it was definitely the right one. Yeah. When Son was crying every week. Yeah. Well, can you imagine how much Son would be crying in this season? You know, they'd have a whole episode on Son crying. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, but it, we'll, we'll, we'll have to actually analyse it now because it is mental. I cannot believe it. Newcastle were great. We're the mags. Yeah. But Spurs were just dreadful. And I, I looked at it, and the, what baffled me from the get-go was so Stellini is mm. known to be one of these tactical geniuses when it comes to defence. He's supposedly one of the best. It doesn't take a genius to go four at the back with Pedro Porro, who he's he's not a defender; he's no. a winger. Yeah. And Perisic, another one who he's again not really a defender. He's only become a defender because he's too slow to play on the wing. Yeah. That, yeah, that's that what it is. It's it's a winger dropping back. Yeah. So he's so he's sort of neither a winger nor. A fullback, yeah, in a way. Um, but yeah, they've just they've just stopped playing, haven't they? Even though it's still all to play for in terms of top four and Europe, they've clearly just got no respect for themselves, the players. Because, I mean, you've got to put blame at the players and the manager slash uh, Daniel Levy's door, because at the end of the day. Football players are known for downing tools over sort of recent history, more so anyway. If you give the players a chance to, they're going to do it, aren't they? Um, they've put the bloke in charge who was assistant to the bloke that they apparently all hated, Conte. I can't understand the thinking behind it. And he was running the train sessions under Conte? Yeah. Like, so, so, changed. So, yeah, so you've, you've removed like half the problem really yeah if if Conte was even the problem yeah. which I'm still not convinced he was it's just, he's just mental like when you when you explain it like that it does not make any sense no. and that's why you then point to Daniel Levy the man upstairs because yeah. it just makes absolutely no sense like, it's just completely nonsense mm. but just Spurs as a whole just oh, what annoyed me the most about it as if if I was a Spurs fan 
if my side went 3-0 down like that that fast, you'd start seeing the players shouting at others mm-hmm. and pulling the... There was not one player that I saw really gather everyone and galvanise everyone. Well, as ridiculous as a lot of people found it, on Friday night when Arsenal went 2-0 down, Zinchenko got the players around him mm. and people were saying, oh, he's not the captain or oh, why is he doing... What's he doing that for? But why wouldn't he do that? That might have been that might that might have been Southampton might have gone on to score three, four, five if he hadn't have done that. If the players' had heads had gone down, if they'd decided that they were going to play like Spurs did, that could have been the way the game went. Yet there's no one doing that for Spurs. It's it's got to be damage limitation, hasn't it? When you're two nil, three nil down, you've just got to think we need to regroup for twenty minutes, half an hour. Maybe have a go again at the second half. Keep the ball. Just keep the ball, yeah. Take the sting out of the game. Stay down injured for five minutes. You know, the dark arts. Do something a bit different. And they just didn't. It was just like they were just so happy to roll over and take the money and make the manager look an idiot. I don't know what it is, but there's just no fight, no passion whatsoever. And I can't imagine being a Spurs fan watching those players. Because, as I've just said, I'm still half convinced that they threw Conte under the bus in a way as well. Yeah, but Conte said it. It's not. It's getting beyond a joke now because it's always the manager, and he's mentioned all the managers they've had in the past. Look, it's, it is starting to. Look, I know everyone. But I understand Levy is a massive problem, but quite clearly the dressing room is as well because that that performance and it was the demeanor. It was the way that they concede a goal, and I sometimes like it when. A player, a defender, grabs the ball and lobs it for like even like the urgency to start again, get yeah. back into position, yeah. and look like you seem to be bothered. The ball went in the net, the heads all dropped, and they're all just dawdling back into position. Yeah, like I was looking at certain players, like I thought in that team maybe you play a, like a Hoiberg or a Harry Kane or a Romero, somebody would get get experienced players, experienced players who've done it internationally. consistently internationally at the top level. Yeah, it's like. They've all got the. You, you talk about in football, you talk about the bug, don't you? But it's usually a positive thing having like the winning bug, and it's like they've got the Spursy bug. Yeah, literally, it's just bizarre. Like, but then, as you said, the, the fact that they're still in a race for top four, and you just seen that performance, like still, even after that performance, <laughs> it's mental. But it's, it's even crazy to think that like. Teddy Ryan Mason could have done a better job, like, <laughs> which I never thought I'd say it. Well, that's the thing. Now they're going to be. Have they put him in charge now? He's interim in charge at the moment. So wasn't he Stellini's assistant? Yes. I think okay, so. so they've put Conti's assistant in charge. That didn't work. So they've put the net. So they've put Stellini's assistant in charge now. Yeah. What? I, I just can't get my head around it. I know I understand that people are saying maybe the manager that they want isn't free until the summer or doesn't want to start until next season. Why? Just go go and put the right money on the table. Go out, de- decide who you want, put the money on the table, get, make him an offer he can't refuse. What What is an extra two or three months off if you're going to earn... I can't see that any of the managers that are in the running... Nagelsmann, for example, if he gets offered an extra half a million or a million quid to start whenever 
Conte got sacked what, a month and a half ago, two months ago, rather than starting in July. I hate that. I, I agree with you. It really bugs me. You can't tell me that he wouldn't take it. And as well, right now, this is the perfect time to come into a squad because they are so low. Anything he does, he just has to raise it by 10%. And it's like, whoa. Exactly. This is good. It's a good squad. Absolutely. And even not for this season, you can work with that squad for, what was it, that the games that they had left? Maybe 10 games they had left when Conte went. And you can work with that squad for 10 games. Even if you don't get a positive result for the next 10 games, doesn't really matter because you've then got your four-year or five-year contract following that. And you've already decided that you don't fancy that player, you don't fancy that player. The minute the season's over, you're going to tell them they can go. You've identified places where you need to strengthen and you can have those people through the door on the first day of pre-season. Yeah, because having a pre-season with a team, a lot of players perform really well in pre-season and yeah. then will do absolutely nothing. Uh, Nicholas and Elka screams to mind. Um, really bothers me, West Brom. Um, Ricky Lambert as well. Yeah, like, Bang so, goals in pre-season but, for the Albion. <laughs> I know it's slightly different, but but it's it, it to be seeing a pl- seeing all the players and deciding a squad in a competitive nature is so much better than watching them train on when Absolutely. they're in Portugal or wherever. Like and and they're putting it in to make an impression to the new manager, aren't they? But but everyone comes back from the summer on a on an even keel, don't they? They're all on a level footing. Yeah. Whereas. For such a project like this, or for such a big decision that Spurs' next manager is, I feel like the first day of pre-season is too late for him to I be agree. coming in. Because they need to hit the ground running. And if he'd identified all the strengths and weaknesses in the last few games of this season, then he's set, isn't he? Set for the season. He still might not know his best team until three of, uh, until the end of the transfer window in the summer, which is three or four games past the start of the season it's too late yeah definitely I, I, I saw this uh, earlier on uh, Twitter and I thought I've got to got to repeat this because it just blew my mind so this is Tottenham managerial stints including interims since Pochettino's sacking in November 2019 Jose Mourinho 516 days then Ryan Mason 71 days Nuno Espirito Santo 124 days, Antonio Conte, 509 days, Christian Stellini, 29 days, and then Ryan Mason. So six stints in three years and five months. And you, and you look at that. It's what's ridiculous. But that's like, for a top club that people seem to think that Tottenham are, that doesn't happen. That's like, that's Watford. Literally. Manager stints. It's awful. I, I didn't realise it was that bad. And the fact that they've had Ryan Mason twice in that time as well just sums up like how poor... This bloke's been interim twice now. But he's the thinking. So, so do the players think that under Levy, we're all right, doesn't really matter how we play. Our contracts are all generally pretty long. Yeah. We're getting paid handsomely. We'll just outlast the manager. If we don't, if we're not massively keen on the manager, we're powerful enough as players, especially these days, that we can outlast the manager easily. And not only that, that no matter how poorly we play, uh, play sorry, at Tottenham it always seems to be we're going to blame the ownership and we'll blame the manager. No one ever points the fingers at the players. Never ever in this entire time. And I get Daniel Levy, it's not great. And it's not ideal. And some of the managers have been really poor. But after so long, it's the same squad. In that entire time, they've not really added to it too much. 
in that three and a half years, like it's a lot of it, the core squad is the same. Yeah. You're looking at you, your players like your Lloris, your Kane, your Son. These are supposed to be world class players, mm. quotations, because they're not at all. Um, well, Kane is. Kane is, yeah. yeah. But uh, Lloris off at half time sums it up, really. The ma- What's the manager doing for a start? You're 5 0 down. The damage is done. What's the point even taking? It's almost just to embarrass him. And then I saw his interview on Match of the Day afterwards, Lloris, where he was asked if he was injured. And he was sort of like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a bit of a muscle injury. I couldn't <laughs> carry on. And we were like, oh, I just thought, come on, man. Do, just do you, suck it up. I think he, he's lucky in the fact that still in he's been sacked. That yeah. has kind of, Taken away a lot of what the stick he really should have got. Yeah. But because Fraser Forster. Club captain, by the way. Fraser Forster won one in his half. Yeah, big Steve Hideous. <laughs> Proper goalkeeper. <laughs> one conceded. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, is there any chance? I, I don't know. Can Lurie, can Lurie still come back from this? Because I think that is like the, that's the biggest humiliation you can get as a keeper. Conceding from another goalkeeper, knocking it long, that's bad. But conceding five in one half and then getting subbed off. As a captain, as you said, that's like... But I think that's the thing. I think what you've just said is the perfect smokescreen, isn't it? There's always something bigger going on at Spurs. So if a player has a shocker or a player has something like that that seemingly you can't come back from, something bigger is going on in the background. Someone's talking about the owner a little bit more or someone's talking about... Oh, yeah. managerial stints within yeah. the last three years well, like Kane is he signing a new contract is he not yeah I never thought like I'd, it's yeah. all just a bit of a smoke screen for the the big problems are all just a bit of a smoke screen for all of the little but often problems that are going on at Spurs and maybe they're the, the issue yeah I think the biggest issue right now at the club is just what's going on on the pitch because all the stuff going on elsewhere doesn't really matter at the end of the day if you can't win <laughs> No, exactly. And that's another thing, isn't it? Levy is just sort of covering himself financially, building racing tracks underneath the stadium and, you know, just making sure all of all of his investments are protected. So it doesn't really matter if they fail on the pitch. It doesn't really matter what manager he gets in. He's Fine. set himself to make a profit. And if it becomes a case of, uh, well... I'm making a profit, I suppose, so I'm all right. He'll, he'll be okay with that. I can't see them getting rid of him because I don't understand. Like, I, really, this is like a real bugbear with me when fans say, "Oh, we'll get rid of the owners." Like, you, yeah, you we like, we will get rid of the owners. How? Yeah, and yeah. It's like when all the fans. I work in front of a computer all week, or I work in. A, I'm a factory supervisor, and we are gonna get rid of the owners. It's ridiculous. And it's 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 modern day football. It's, look, the fans don't have the power that they used to. The fans really don't have any power. The the only reason why the Super League potentially like fell through is what went on with then the Premier League and the TV rights and everything like that. All of that because I don't think the fans really. Oh, it was it. nothing to do with the it, fans. It really bothered me that did. They would yeah. If if the Premier League hadn't threatened sanctions and whatnot, those teams would have just carried on with the Super League regardless of 
what the fans thought. Yeah, you saw the fact that like Juve or was it Juve and like a couple of other clubs were still in it. Yeah, like, literally like a year ago. Yeah, still yeah. In the- <laughs> I think they probably still are. They just, they just haven't played a game. They're they're all just on naught points with yeah. no games played. It was like, lads, isn't? Yeah, we're when, just sat in a room. When, just... when are the English lads joining in, <laughs> or are they? They're not bothering. This they've thing? made a coffee for all the English clubs, and they've just gone stale cold. But they're leaving them there, hoping that they're gonna. They left the door slightly open. Like, <laughs> Come in, like, please. <laughs> Come on, fellas. <laughs> oh, but that's something that I talk about quite often because it just it really bothers me because that's a narrative I'm hearing all week on talk sport and other pages where you hear fans calling up saying oh we'll get rid of the owners we're going to protest and things no that's right think... I heard one the other day uh, yeah the... absolutely not... as you said he built a blooming uh, racetrack under the ground do you think he cares about the football fans Just... he turns the the, 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 the pictures on wheels he yeah. turns to an NFL stadium in the summer he doesn't care about the football like he no. doesn't care about the. it really bothers me it's it's a business at the end of the day that's how he that's how he sees it and it's not going to change. No. I don't see how he, it can change. It's too far gone. I think it invests a billion into a stadium like that to think, oh, oh a couple of fans are moaning on talk sport. Mm. I'm selling up. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah. The fans have walked out after yeah. 20 minutes away at Newcastle. Just so what? They've paid their money for the tickets. Mm. It's already sorted. Yeah. It's already been reinvested by whoever mm. it's a sad reality of the modern game like we, as fans we're losing the power yeah. within football um, I did see um, what I thought would be interesting actually just to quickly discuss um, I saw the Tottenham players reimbursed all the uh, fans who bought tickets did they? Good. Yeah, well, that, we were, that's happened today we were talking about that weren't we yesterday Yeah. in fact yesterday, the day before Sunday sorry um, and we were saying they really ought to because it's a complete disgrace they're that, Especially considering where they both are in the league. Those two teams on Sunday were playing for the same position in the league, essentially. Or well, still are. And the gulf in quality was just astounding. It was like top playing bottom. Literally. It was horrific. So, yeah, good on the players for doing that. But it's the least they should be expected to do to be honest yeah and I think I, I like it I think it's definitely the right move but they should have looked, like played like they cared about the fans rather than <laughs> yeah exactly it's all just a bit of an empty not an empty gesture but a, a, bit, a bit too little too late like, yeah. fans aren't bothered if fans were bothered about the money they were spending they wouldn't spend it yeah. they want to spend it they want to follow their team and they just want fans want players to play like they would play yep I don't know there's probably what 3,000 Tottenham fans gone to that game and every single one of them none of them will have the footballing quality that any of the Spurs players have that's a given but every single one of them would have tried harder ran harder tackled harder just had more spirit and more willing than any of those players did and they just want every football fan every proper football fan just wants that Passion, effort, and care, yeah, matched. Yeah, cult heroes. That's how cult heroes come about. They're never the players that are actually like the exactly. best at the club. They're never the best footballers, are they? It's the it's the passion merchants, as we passion joke about. It's yeah. the, the, as you say, yeah. You put yourself in their boots, and you think they care, they love us, they yeah. care about us. And at the end of the day, put ten passion merchants around Harry Kane, you're going to have a pretty good team. Oh, it'll be unreal. You're going to have a pretty successful team, even if they're all bang average passion merchants that can get a ball to Kane. That's all you need to do. 
There we go. We've solved your problem, Spurs. Levy, if you're listening, just get some passion merch. You actually make more money then. You'll be a cheaper squad. Get 10 Jason Malumbis <laughs> behind Harry Kane. <laughs> Move over now to the other side of North London. Uh, Arsenal 3-3, which... Squeaky bum time! Yep, yep. And there's a reason why Mike's not here tonight. Uh, it's not because of that. I thought I'd just make it about that. Because but... he's crying into his O2 shirt. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this. But in the grand scheme of things, it's 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 a it's a real it's a real. Oh, I'm trying to think of a low blow for Arsenal fans because it's one of those games that they all expected to win. That that wasn't the game that they were looking about and, and worrying about. Really, I don't think personally because everyone was looking ahead towards the City game. And it was all about the City game and how big it was. And now it's taken a lot of the sting away from this City game, in my opinion, because. That's City what just need to win their games. They don't need to rely on Arsenal anymore. Mm. That's what the inexperience has done for them, hasn't it? They're all concentrating on that game. Uh, sorry, on that City game in midweek. Yep. Whereas you know for a fact that City, I know it wasn't a league game and I know they weren't against Premier League opposition, but City just went out there. They looked relaxed. They looked like their head was on the game they were in. And they did the job professionally without any scares, without loads of build-up to the next game. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between the City squad as a whole and the Arsenal squad. They're, they were thinking about the next game, hmm. which you can never do. Well, they've just won in the Champions League, like just pretty much destroyed Bayern to pull them apart. Then going to the cup, was it cup semi-final on the weekend, mm. demolishing Sheffield United, really dispatching them. Yeah, like it, it's just like, and you only do that by thinking about one game at a time, don't yeah. you? Yeah, because they couldn't a bit like. And as big as the buying game was, the Arsenal game has obviously got so much media attention. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like they can't avoid it. They get well, if you about, take if you take out the teams that they're playing, just think about the games that they were in. Second leg of a Champions League quarter final. FA Cup semi-final and potential title decider and they've come through two of them completely unscathed looking like they didn't get out of second year having conceded one goal and Arsenal have drawn their last they've drawn three of their last four something like that probably something like that I can get it up exactly but it's it's not been it's almost as if it's like ever since the advert for Arsenal again three on the trot Three, three on the three, trot, yeah. Three draws on the trot. Um, ever since that advert came on BT Sport for City against Arsenal, it's like Arsenal have lost the plot. It's like that advert is in the back of their head. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. But the only positive to take from it is again they've shown character to come to come back. That's the only positive I can take from it. Because massive again, character. Like it's not a loss. Yeah, yeah, massive character because. In the previous two games, they were up 2-0, weren't they? And ended up drawing. Then to be down 2-0 after those two draws, they've got to be thinking, oh God, this is we've sort of started this game as we left off the last game. This is major. And like I mentioned earlier, I think that Zinchenko getting everyone round, just having a bit of a regroup, just saying... Come on, like you've got to play for. The, like, listen to this ground, listen to the atmosphere. 
you've got to play for these fans. You, you've just got to concentrate on this game. You've got to concentrate on being here against Southampton because ultimately they're in the Premier League as well. They might be bottom, but they're not playing like it. I thought Southampton were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They didn't really look good. like a team at the bottom. They, they were so confident for a team that were bottom of the league. I couldn't quite believe it. But it was because they smelt blood. It was because they got ahead in the first minute and they thought, we can, if we just go for them here, they're, 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 we've rattled them. They didn't respect them. It's what I love. I always say yeah. a lot of these a lot of these teams towards the bottom of the league, they go up and just shut up shop against these yeah. sides. Where Way too much respect. You look at your likes of Arsenal, they haven't really been tested like the, with the press too often. Like no. Not many sides go at them like they did Southampton because that first like just went straight onto yeah. them and forced them to make mistakes instantly. 2-0 down from arguably two mistakes. Yeah. Odegaard giving away the ball, I think it was, and then Ramsdale giving away the ball. These are just by pure pressure yeah. which they won't have they won't have had well we've all. spoken on here before about Arsenal being relentless and yeah they have been uh, I think Fulham away stands out for example they were relentless but they were given too much respect in that game and they were quite happy. they they enjoyed that they were happy with that they can have 90% of the ball pick them off at will fine but Southampton have decided if we do that we're going to get beat 5-0, which they probably would have done. Definitely. Um, so they went with the right game plan and it, it's testament to how Southampton played that they'll have been coming out at the end disappointed with the draw. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't think there's any more anything else to add. I think we've just summed up that game beautifully. I think we articulate ourselves wonderfully. Is there anything else you want to add before we move on? I think the Zinchenko thing is spot on. I um, completely agree. The Jesus chance where there's a nice little dink ball over the top. Oh, yes. You take the floor of this. <laughs> That's the reason he's not still at City. That's the reason that the best managers evolve. People have said, why on earth would City let Jesus go? Haaland scores that chance. Yeah, Jesus didn't. Yep, and I think we've we've seen it with Jesus in the past. Like his finishing hasn't quite been there, and he, there's been points throughout the season where he's missed a lot of chances. But also have created a lot for him, and he's created a lot of chances himself. But those big moments, as you said, that's the difference between a world class striker and a class striker. Yeah, in my opinion, and it's he's totally- massively changed Arsenal's team. Don't get me wrong, but he's no. Yeah, that's a league winning chance. Mm. That's a, that's a title winning chance. You know. There's one player on the pitch you want that to fall for. Your number nine, he's got to score. Yeah, I, I know this might. I, you might. You can shoot me down if you think I'm being ridiculous here. And I'm not trying to be controversial for controversial sake, but I always say this about Enketia. I think Enketia, if that Gabriel Jesus chance right at the end, if Enketia had that, I genuinely would have back Enketia to score because there's a difference between Enketia and Gabriel Jesus. Gabriel Jesus is, great, is a better footballer, but Enketia is a poacher. And we've seen some of the goals he scored. I think about the United game. Some of the chances he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. He doesn't have the. He's just clinical. He doesn't have any of the other play. But I ate my words this season a little bit with Enketia because I saw him on loan at a few different clubs, Leeds, and I thought, "Wow, he is so bad." And the minute Jesus got injured, I thought, "That's it." If you'd have said this game on the. 26th of April three games from the end of the season four games from the end of the season whatever it is will still be the title decider when 
Jesus was out for, declared to be out for however many months, I'd have laughed at you because I knew that their next in line to play up front was Nketiah. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And the fact that they didn't replace him in January, I couldn't believe. And he proved me wrong, to be fair. Like you say, he was clinical. Very clinical. Didn't add as much to the team as uh, Jesus, but scored the goals when it mattered, got in the positions, and turned out to actually be a good finisher. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know, maybe he was unwell when he was at Leeds. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I always used to say... Or it was his brother or... <laughs> <laughs> I always say about that, that Leeds time, I think of it all the time, because I remember him playing against the Albion. Yeah. And he... I think he came on. Or we were worried stopped. about him, were and we? He was, he was absolutely terrible. dreadful. And at that time, we'd got like, I think Carl Bartley, like, and he just went out, look, Carl Bartley just kept him quiet. Like, it's mental to think it. Kyle Bartley is inevitable. <laughs> but I don't know, I might be just, I just, I, I know it's like a, if, but. When you started else. talking, I was like, he's going to say that Nketiah would have scored that. And I was going to disagree with you. And then following, you know, his vein of form and his, his actual. His clinical finishing and the way that he stepped into Jesus's boots. Yeah, fair play to him. I think you're probably right. Yeah, because you, d- you don't remember. I always think of Gabriel Jesus missing big chances, and that's what he kind of is sort of known for. Whereas Enketi mm. is known for just scoring what we call scrappy goals. And I always think of Darren Bent, where people say, oh, he's a bad striker. He's always just seems to be there. But if you're there in that position, you quite clearly can read the game well. Yeah. And that, that's an art in itself. And I, and I think of that and get it, that, that goal against Man United, I always go back to that. Gabriel Jesus wouldn't have been in that position because he never is in the right position. He's no, always that's right. taking the ball deep. He's working too hard for the team, yeah. yeah. Whereas you sometimes you don't want your goal scorer to work too hard for the team, do you? Yeah. You want the, all the other 10 players to work hard for the team and your goal scorer to score your goals. Yeah, exactly. We, I think we might have just sold the... You would have won the title, basically, Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> We've completed football. <laughs> we have. We've solved Spurs' you problems. You hadn't bothered signing Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> You'd be ten points clear again. <laughs> oh, okay. Then the next game I want to discuss is um, West Ham Bournemouth. Not a game I thought before this podcast would have gone out. If you'd have said to me on Friday, that'd have been one of the big talking points on the weekend. What on earth has happened to West Ham? It is like that. In the space of how many weeks, Moise? He's done it. He's just the man. Experience at this level gets you anywhere. Uh, and I thought he might have run his cause. I thought he might have gone past his sell-by date, like managers do. But unlike your Sam Allardyce's and your dad, Alan Pardew, <laughs> he, he, he hasn't. He's come back round and he's he's sorted them out and they just look like they just look like a completely different team to the one we were seeing yeah. only a matter of weeks ago one loss in the last five games yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's like a new manager bounce it's ridiculous but we always said there's a good squad in there but they just, they just weren't performing and it looked like they'd, he'd lost the dressing room kind of thing and I hate yeah. using that as a phrase but that's the only way you could look at it and not only that they're flying in the conference league <laughs> they get they get yeah Unreal if they win that as well. But what is look if they now they're currently now sat uh, at the time of recording because there are games going on as we speak. They're currently sat in 14th in the league, um, and they've played two less games than the side above them, and the three points behind. If they win their two games in hand, they go to 12th in the league, and it's like like that. It, it's all turned around when they were at one point. We, be, I was they'll be chasing down Chelsea. Yeah, 
It's crazy. Yeah. There'd be a point of Chelsea. And I, I said, I thought they were getting relegated. I was convinced of it. And I, Well, there were four of us sat here, weren't there, when we did the uh, bottom three predictions probably four or five weeks ago. And there was more than one of us that said West Ham, I'm sure. Yeah, because they just look, they just weren't scoring. Whereas now that it's free. Well, they were down football. and out. They had their only hope was Michel Antonio, who notoriously doesn't really score goals. Yeah. But like when they were losing in the interviews afterwards, Moyes was saying the same thing, and he looked grey and he looked sad. And all of a sudden, you see him in interviews now, and he's like vibrant ginger, and he's got a bit of colour in his skin. <laughs> It's a, it's amazing. It's like he's had a holiday or something and just yeah. come back and give him the new manager bounce. Yeah, and to go to Bournemouth, the side that we've been praising for so long, to go to Bournemouth to yeah, be four yeah. nil, yeah, like it was absolutely nothing. It's just, I, I've got, I've got a really weird thing with West Ham. I, I love the fact that they are, they pushed and they got into the European football. But they annoy me because I hate the them. European football. Yeah, they got into <laughs> European football. Sorry, the European football. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. It's like I've never spoken English before. They got into European football. Anyone who finishes in the top seven just gets into the European football. <laughs> scrap the scrap the uh well, scrap the Super League. That's what we want. Just the, the, the European, European football. It, as I got caught in two minds. I went to say Conference League and I thought, oh no, there's Europa as well. And I yeah. just merged the two. I think it sounds pretty good, to be fair. The European football. But I like the fact that they pushed into there and mm. they upset that that top, those top teams. They did it for a couple of seasons and then I, I didn't like, I hate the West Ham are massive. For some reason, that really winds me up even though I know they're joking and that's the whole point to annoy people. Yeah. And it really bothers me. I don't know why. It might be just me. Yeah. It just so. rattles me. Yeah, I was saying I don't know why, but I just I like the fact that they they're pushing back up because they play good football when they do. It's oh good. yeah, when they're on it, they they they're good. They're a good team. Yeah, and, and we've just seen it with the fact that they've and they've got of, some good players. They haven't got relegation fodder in their squad, have they? Dec- 150 million Declan Rice. Got Paqueta. The got bloke was playing with Neymar in the <laughs> in the World Cup. Like this this guy was cutting about in the number ten for Brazil. Yeah. Which is, but still, I haven't seen enough from him. By the way, for West Ham, I don't know what what. Mm, I don't know. No, maybe he needs a maybe he needs a lot of quality around him to look any good. Maybe he needs a Neymar at West Ham. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and you never know if they stay up. The David Moyes pull and the European, and the European football, football <laughs> will be enough to tempt Neymar back. Oh, back like he's played yeah. for West Ham before. Why, why you said back. How do you think that then? I was thinking. Don't remember that. Like his time, at... he he was on loan <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> oh, him and Nobes, him, him and played, Nobes played against, played alongside each other in the youth team. Kevin Nolan, just up, just yeah, in, yeah. Top, in front. Oh, it's brilliant. He um, taught Neymar the chicken dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh. There's some other results I do want to talk about. The uh, Liverpool Forest sticks out to me. As a, a just a bizarre game of football, um, has Yotta been injured, or has he just not been playing? Because if he hasn't, if he's just not been playing, why hasn't he been playing? He was injured, and then he's slowly been coming back recently. It's just he just scores, he just gets goals, and I don't understand why you wouldn't have him in that team. With obviously Firmino coming out of it as he has been this season. Darwin not being the number nine that everyone wanted him to be. I don't think he's flopped, but he's 
He can, sort of looks more effective running down the wing, doesn't he? And definitely. He, he does look quick and he does look powerful, but he's not been that goal-scoring number nine that everyone wanted him to be. Um, so I think when you've got a player like Jota, who seemingly never hits a bad run of form, you've got to play him if he's oh, fit. I love him. He's great. And he's, he's so deceptively good in the air. Like, oh, I don't he's get, tiny. He's ridiculous. I don't understand how. He's just one of them players like... Shane Long, obviously, yep. not as good. Yeah. But a bloke who's probably less than six foot. Yeah, Tim Cahill, another one, yeah. another player. And that's... he's out jumping centre halves and just being quicker. I think that's a lot to do with reading the game as well. Definitely, it has to be. You know, if you can take off five feet away and just be that bit, little bit quicker for the, the, the centre half, it means you're very good at reading the game and reading where the ball's going to be. Yeah. I don't know why though. For some reason, it, I don't know what what it is about him that that I, I don't know. He doesn't seem to get as much praise as the rest of them. Like if Cody Gakpo has a good game, like it seems to be just plastered everywhere, all over the media. Salah has a good game; it's everywhere. Darwin has a good game, but Shota mm. never seems to get like the praise that the rest of them do. Whereas arguably, he's been other than Salah, he's probably the most consistent scorer yeah. and performer. I guess it's maybe because he's not. Like a superstar, he was never billed as a superstar. I feel like he was signed from the Wolves, not to be a main man, to be back up to uh, Firmino, Sane, mm. and Salah. And even when he was that backup, he was just as good as really uh, form-wise as any of those three in the team. Yeah, uh, other than Salah, probably a few seasons ago. Yeah, I think it's because he wasn't a big name for a big fee from a big club. Yeah, I think that might be actually. Yeah, the way you put it like that, because I don't, I, I could never get my head around it. But that probably makes more sense. It's not the, it's not the headline signing, isn't it, that no. the fans want? And I think the fact that it's mainly a tourist fan base, they want big signings, big names from big, you know, marquee signings. Yeah, to show that the club are investing and moving forward, whereas yeah. Diego Jota probably doesn't have that same yeah. effect. Yeah, no, that's probably the best way of putting it. There's no one outside their cam- outside Anfield that's travelled from far and wide with their cameras to Just... take pictures of Jota, is there? Yeah, from from Wolverhampton. From Wolverhampton. Well, like, he's from Portugal. No, 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 he's that. originally from Wolverhampton. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. No, he's actually from Wolverhampton. <laughs> yeah. I said that. Have then. you not heard his Portuguese accent? It's rubbish. <laughs> he's clearly putting it on. <laughs> As I said it, I was convinced he was from Wolverhampton. As I said it, and yeah. then I was like, "No, he's not." What are you on about? No, he just pretended to be from Portugal to to fit in with the Wolverhampton Globetrotters theme. Yeah, when they signed him, Diego is not his real name, is it? It's Dave. No, Dave <laughs> Jenkins <laughs> from Bradley. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but a quick message from one of our sponsors, Surprise Shirts. Everyone go click the link down in the description below for brilliant surprise shirts that you won't find anywhere on the market. Use the code BHS10. Yes, you heard me. BHS10 for 10% off in the checkout. And look at this shirt I'm wearing now. Absolutely gorgeous. So click the link down below for 10% off as surprise shirts. Okay, the next we've got to talk about the uh, Brentford Villa game. 1-1, all square. Villa coming right back at the end. And uh, they've been pretty much all over the media recently like they're finally getting the praise that they probably deserve with the the form and things and Brentford a lot of people saying they're on they're already on the beach or on holiday it's a, I thought it was an interesting dynamic going into this game so I just wondered what what were your thoughts on it mm, I, I think it's two um two very good 
managers up against each other, potential contenders for manager of the season, Thomas Frank developing that team in the way that he has, a lot of players who were who no one would have ever really said they're that good. Or sorry, that massive, that impressive, other than Tony, he's sort of the only standout sort of star in there. Everyone else is just they're just a good team, all round team, work for each other, know what each other's doing, and a lot of that's down to Thomas Frank's management. I think what you said about the Brentford as well then, about the star man, it's exactly what we spoke about with Spurs, what they're missing. Yeah. It's a it's one star man in Tony, yeah. similar to Spurs with Kane. Yeah. But then they've got ten players around him that fit the system and that play for the team. Like every yeah. single one of them will put their all into every game. Yeah. I can imagine the atmosphere around the dressing room and around the training ground and the whole squad dynamic would be phenomenal at yeah. Brentford. I completely agree. Everyone playing for the manager, playing for the system. And then you look at Spurs, as we said, it's it's one star man and then ten players that look disjointed, don't look like they're together whatsoever. Yeah. Like I always think it's it's the polar opposites like we spoke yeah. about earlier. That's what exactly what Spurs should be looking, taking a leaf out of Brentford's books. And, and those players are, would run through a brick wall for brick wall for that manager. Definitely, one hundred percent. Even if you couldn't say it, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I just wanted to get you back for the European football. <laughs> um, but yeah, also Emery. You know, Gerard was just such a bad fit. I mean, you know, he pulled up trees in Scotland with Rangers, um, but it was just, it wasn't a smart move from the Villa. And in fairness to them, they identified it fairly early they didn't stick with him for too long did they yeah um, and they made the change that needed to be made because all they were doing was loitering towards the bottom of the league and sticking with him too long would have could have meant some you know <laughs> really really <laughs> negative for the Villa it could um, but yeah Emery are they unbeaten in nine now seven wins out of nine two draws it's crazy isn't it to, to have turned a team round and a squad round that much, the way that he has just goes to show what a great manager he is. And they've got a good squad, haven't they, Villa? It should have always been performing better when you think about the money it's invested. I know money doesn't just guarantee you results in a good team, but if you keep spending... Yeah. <laughs> and if you keep spending constantly, you are eventually going to start building a pretty decent squad. And yeah. it really, like you said, it's a team full of internationals. Yeah. It did bring me some joy that they were spending so much money and going nowhere. But they are going somewhere now under Emery, aren't they? And whether they... I think European football has been spoken about a lot in recent weeks. There's no reason why they shouldn't get it. But even if they don't get it, if you were a Villa fan, you ought to be confident that they'll get it next season. Yeah, because you think he's going to have a whole summer with the squad. They're going to yeah. invest heavy because they do back managers. They yeah. always have done. Like they backed, they backed Gerard. Like they backed the signings that he wanted. And you think they're going to all they're going to do is back him. And he, the only one player he signed, it's worked out well. So you, you think he's going to identify players, identify positions, and it's only going to go up realistically for them. Yeah, and it's frustrating to say as a West Brom fan, but it it, it is happening. And you can see they've got the big plan, the big blueprint for building the bigger stand, money invested. And it's just like you can see them yeah. pushing towards it, and it's quite frustrating. Football is cyclical, isn't it? Mm. We had some good years while they 
teetered on the edge of administration. Now they're having a good time while we teeter on the ed- edge of administration. So that means actually we're going to go back up then, definitely. And we're going to be exactly. huge. Yeah. Exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> and there's some straws over there that I'm just going to go and clutch at. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want that then as well? When you went, I looked over there then. I was thinking, what straws? Are <laughs> what straws are you on about? <laughs> also, a fantastic little stat. Oh god, little Simon stat. Shout out, Si. Shout out, Si. Who's at puppy training or something? <laughs> um, Watkins and Harland have the same goals this calendar year. I'm going to say that's probably only Premier League, but still. In Same the, goals, calendar year. In the Premier League, that's ridiculous. That's wild. That's really shocked me. Sorry, you didn't prep me with that. What? Yeah, but I don't even know what to say. I'm actually <laughs> speechless. That is blowing my mind. Mad, isn't it? Wow. And the slander I didn't I research him. it. I just heard it on Match of the Day while I was eating my tea. That's but fine. But I just thought it needed it that, needed something. That had to be... It needed uh, that's bring blown, it to the table. That genuinely blown my mind. That yeah. really shocked me, that did. Yeah. Wow. I know he's been good, but... Geez, that's that that just shows you the level, doesn't it? Like Yeah. And I'm sure Joe was sitting here slating him a few weeks ago saying he couldn't hit a barn door. Yep, there's a clip that of me the and The power Joe. of the pod. Me and Joe, there's a clip that he's literally and the only reason why it's still up there is because it's smashing views, if I'm honest, because I was tempted to delete it, but the comments are brilliant. Aged well, aged well, aged, aged well. well. Yeah. Yep. But now that I've just whacked that stat out there, he's not gonna score. The power of the pod means that he might not score until Next, next season. season. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. Um, next game then, uh, Leicester Wolves. Uh, Leicester getting their result. Dean Smith um, coming back. The West Midlands, the Villa fan, uh, taking away one of their rivals, taking away a result that no one really expected, if I'm honest. I I didn't get the Dean Smith appointment. I no, it lacked. It, it wasn't lacked very fight, ambitious, yeah. was it? I, I thought, I don't know, I thought they ought to have had pottering immediately I thought because they sort of got rid of their managers very much at the same time I just thought that would be the perfect fit great infrastructure as a club Potter gets in there turns it all around gets his own players in gets to work with not such big personalities that there are at Chelsea Yeah, and could potentially have them back to the level that where they were a few seasons ago where they were competing for sort of European places or competing in the cups, um, but yeah, Dean Smith wasn't it's, massively it's like, inspiring. It's was given it? them. I don't get. I, I really. We spoke about last week about short-term contracts with managers. Yeah, I don't. It it, it lacks. Like it, it quite clearly shows that like, the Leicester appointment of Dean Smith. They've given him a, a to the end of the season. It's like mm. we don't really think you're going to do a great job because you've yeah. only got a contract at the end of the season. It's like we're not fully backing you. It's like we're covering ourselves just in case he gets relegated. Like that's in the back of their mind. Exactly, that, but, but that's the problem, isn't it? What he's a proper manager. He's not an interim manager. You give short-term contracts or interim managers roles to the backroom staff, to the club legend, to the under twenty ones coach. You give a six-month contract to those people. You don't give it to people like Dean Smith. That's why I just I just thought it just lacked ambition and a fight like. Imagine being a player in the dressing room. You're in a relegation, but you think, oh, you're hearing all the rumours. Who's coming in? Who's coming in? And Jesse Marsh kept being mentioned. You're probably thinking, no thanks. No thanks. And then Dean Smith gets mentioned. You think, okay, he's 
he's yeah. been around like he's he's done he's done okay with the Villa realistically mm. he did a great, way better job than Gerard did yeah and you think okay he's he's done it in the Premier League but then they're like oh but he's only got to the end of the season so he's only gonna be out for about seven or eight weeks he's yeah. like so if we sack it off under him so what it's just I don't get it yeah it, it just it confused me but then it's a great result and it <laughs> and they played some really nice stuff I I watched it and compared to the Leicester that I've seen in. The last probably five weeks. Southampton game. Str- yeah. <laughs> every time springs to mind. Yeah, uh, they were just horrific, but but they looked they looked really good. And if um, they're playing Leeds tonight, aren't they? If they take, I watched that game. I watched the Leicester game at the weekend, and I watched the Leeds game at the weekend. And if there's one clear winner out of those two tonight. It's Leicester, the form that they were in. And I bet Leeds are winning, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it as soon as I, I started to talking. The score. Um, but that could still age well because it still yeah. could change. Yeah. Um, it currently is 1-0, but um, let's not, I'm not going to look at the game. I didn't mean to. I just thought, oh, I'm just have a little glance. And then I saw Leeds 1-0. I thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> no, it, looked like, it looked at the weekend like Leicester might be finally finding a bit of form and Leeds were very much the opposite at the weekend. Yeah, perfect movement onto the Fulham game. That was just bizarre because Fulham had been pretty poor recently. Yeah. They were starting to drop down the table and I thought, Leeds under Gracia, but then that, that poor result against Liverpool the week before and then that, as you said, it just it didn't look great. It doesn't look like a team no. were fighting. They've had the manager bounce and it's like... Ooh. Yeah, they, lacked a, they looked like they lacked a bit of belief. It was... Um, yeah, they, they go on about being such a proud club and... They were so desperate to get back in the Premier League after such uh, such a long period away. They're too big a club to not be in the Premier League and all that. They're a point worse off this season than they were at the same stage last season. Which is, jeez, I wouldn't have said that. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't look like they've got too many in there battling. Like you go to Ellen Road or you have a Leeds team come and face you at home. You think we're in for a battle today. <laughs> It just doesn't seem that well, way dirt, at the moment. Dirty leads, the thing yeah. that they were known for for so long, is just yeah. completely gone. The the, uh, the the character of the club, what everyone knew them for, they don't. It, it's not there anymore. No, I do, and I do feel sorry for Leeds fans in a way because they're proper, sort of proper football people that stuck with them when times went really bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in some atmospheres at Ellen Road, whether it's been Premier League or Championship. Championship Friday night was the one that stuck out for me. Went down there, booked time off work to go up to Leeds. The atmosphere was just one of the best atmospheres I've, I've ever been in. And they scored within the first 30 seconds. Was that the 4-0 one? Yeah. And we did not get a sniff all night because we were terrified. Our team were terrified of that atmosphere up there. And that team in the Championship was horrible. Horrible team to play against, but they've got nothing like that anymore. No. They, they're trying to change, and they bought all those players from like RB Leipzig and exactly. You've got a team full of Americans and Patrick Bamford up front, the poshest man on the planet. I'm just not having it. Raw. Coffee, coffee, coffee. <laughs> Patrick Bamford loves a coffee, coffee. Definitely, he can tell, can't you, with the way he plays yeah. as well. But yeah, and I agree with you. Just at least fight. Like they don't look like they're in a relegation scrap the way they play either. Because you look at some of the other teams, I think 
the quality wise they do yeah. but then they don't look like they're throwing their body on I think Southampton you saw that against yeah. Arsenal you've seen it in um, Leicester with that recent result they're playing some great football but again putting their bodies on the line Everton do it every week whereas Leeds they just kind of they're, they're, like, I think the best way of putting it I, I watch them sometimes I think every 50-50 I don't back Leeds in which is ridiculous. They'd have been the main yeah. club that you would have backed any player in a 50-50. Like I don't look in that squad. There are not many players that you'd back in a 50-50 because they're all like they're going into challenges half arse. They're not. Whereas you look at your likes of Everton, the other teams are playing. They're throwing their head at the ball and it's just put their body on the line for the team. Whereas you don't see that with Leeds. I know it sounds like we're talking here like passion thing again because I know that'll be the comments because I know that's what they say anyway about mine and your opinions. But but in that sort of situation, that's what that. you need. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You, you need do. battlers. Yeah, definitely. They look like they're, they looked on Saturday when I watched them. They looked like a mid-table team who got 40 points about three weeks ago and they were just done. Yeah, they're playing. It's like they're playing Flip for nothing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Definitely. Um, and that's pretty much all the weekend results summed up. We don't really need to speak about the Everton game because do you want to say anything other than it was just dull? Roy, um, actually. Roy. That was all I was going to mention. That's all I've written down. In fact, I couldn't I couldn't summon any notes from the Palace-Everton uh, highlights that I watched because it was just dull. And I had made some banging chicken and I was quite enjoying that. So. <laughs> Um, but what, 10 points from four games since Hodgson came in I think we slated Palace's decision to bring him back on here I think not just us I think everyone did, did yeah. yeah no one believed it was a good appointment you know even Palace fans were going oh you know he, he he's a London he's a Croydon lad he's Palace through and through but we need a bit more than that yeah we need a bit more than an old bloke topping up his pension which anyone who's said anything like that, including us, is now eating their words, aren't they? Yeah, I will eat that humble pie and because they are playing some great football as well. Yeah. Didn't against Everton, may I add. But it's mm. another good result. Playing against an Everton side right now and getting a clean sheet is not easy. No, it isn't, no. Also, I heard earlier that since Deutsch came in, um, Everton have conceded the third most goals in the period since Deich arrived. Oh my word. And that is not Deich ball, is it? And especially when you think of that team that is built for Deich. We mm. all said it. It's not been as good as I was expecting, if I'm honest. I have been a bit... Well, that, that result at the weekend dropped them back into mm. the bottom three, didn't it? And I, I, I agreed with you. I, I, I thought they'd be in a similar position to what Palace are now. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely When he agree. came in. And I thought that the team was just built of just thugs that they were going yeah. to just fly up the league. And... Yeah, it's a proper a proper squad of uh, Premier League strugglers. Yeah, literally. And the fact that that Arsenal result, first game, I thought, yeah, yeah. this is oh, happening. This is the start. Yeah, Dice is back. Yeah. He's ready to do it all over again. But yeah. no. Um, um, also... Roy looks younger by the way. Right, now on to the favourite part for the listeners. This is the stuff that gets the best reactions. You lot love it. You lot live for this. And I have to explain it because I keep forgetting to explain it every week. And new listeners are thinking, what on earth am I on about? But it is now time. I would understand why they would think that as yeah, well. Yeah, because if you hear me go, insulate the loft! <laughs> they're like, what's going on? <laughs> well, this is now where we have got a loft upstairs and 
all we're doing every week is we are removing things that we don't like about football and putting it in the loft to get dusty and forgotten about. And there are a lot of things up there right now. It's very full, but we're going to keep going up. And in the summer, we're going to empty it and leave the stuff in there that deserves to be in there. We've had an extension, haven't we? So it's not actually that full. We've extended outwards. Oh, have we? Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. you get the planning permission? Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, the planning permission, yeah, right. to extend outwards. Therefore, the loft extends outwards as well. Oh, brilliant. So now, it's time to insulate the loft. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy doing that. I'm going around Maybe the house. Maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, I, I'm going around the house doing it on my... No, I don't do that. That that would be very weird. Definitely do. I definitely do. Um, Practicing the mirror to get myself ready for an episode. <laughs> With your top off. <laughs> Just banging my chest. Like, Roar. Um, <laughs> what would you like to remove then? What is the first thing? Okay. Um... This one, my Loft FC for the week, um, it's a bit of a family effort. Okay. Um, I'd never noticed this before, but my dad pointed it out at one of the matches we've been to recently. I think it was maybe Stoke away. Um, like I say, I'd never really thought about it before. It never really bothered me before. Um, probably because I'd never really noticed it. And it's killed me ever since. I've hated it ever since. Like, I can't get it. It's in my head rent-free ever since. Okay. Drinks breaks. But they're not actually drinks breaks. Every single stoppage, every player on the pitch goes and has a drink. Are they all dehydrated? Do they not drink water throughout the week? Do they not get enough fluids on board? Everybody stops for a drink. Every time there's a break in play. If, like, if, if the keeper has to go down and tie his shoelace... Everyone goes and has a drink. If there's a, if a player stays down for more than thirty seconds, drink. And I've noticed the manager calls half the team over a lot of the time. Yeah, he just does. does a team talk. It's not a drinks break. It's a team talk half well, the time well, as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's wrong. It's it. It's, it affects the game. I agree. Managers can affect the game. If if there was timeouts where you could tactically talk to the players, fine. But but there isn't. They can affect games. There's a reason that the game is in two halves and it's half time. Fair enough if the manager wants to do that, wants to call everyone over. But when the referee's ready to start the game again, he should just start the game. Yeah. Because it leads to it leads to the rhythm of the game getting broken up as well. Yeah. Which is also a tactical thing from some managers. Like I say, if people want to have a drink, fine. If they if they if the managers want to get the team over, fine. But as soon as the ref's ready to play on, he should play on. No, I definitely agree with that. That's something I hadn't no- I hadn't thought about until you said that. And you'll notice it forever now. Brilliant, thanks. Thanks to my dad and now thanks to me. I saw a video on Twitter earlier of a Barcelona youth team and they were playing... Is it Crystal Palace? I don't know why they were playing Crystal Palace. Um, and the guy, they could... I reckon they can't have been more than 14. And... The referee's got the ball. Players just receive treatment. The referee's got the ball. The keeper has run up, this 14-year-old keeper's run up to the referee, grabbed the ball off him and gone, can I play, can I play? And the referee's gone, yeah, okay. They've played. Keeper's passed the defender. Defender's passed the midfielder. Midfielder's passed to the striker, who just happens to be Patrick Clivert's son. He's ran the length of the half and slotted it into an empty net. And the camera pans round and the whole of the opposition team are running from the halfway line 
back towards the goal. Chucking their drinks <laughs> bottles over their shoulders back towards the goal to try and stop him. <laughs> That's brilliant, that is. And like people are asking, should the goal have stood? Yes, 100%. If the referee's ready, all of those players are still on the pitch with their water bottle. It's not like they've got to be allowed back onto the pitch. If the referee's ready, play should continue. And it would lead to faster flowing football and... More, more football, more football, more, more, more ball in play. Yeah, time, yeah. which has been a, a a bit of a talking point since the World Cup. Yeah, no, I definitely you know what, spot on. I rate that entirely. That's something again. I feel like you might really get me annoyed now on a Saturday watching football because mm. I feel like that's going to be something I'm going to actually look out for. Yeah, thanks. And to all the listeners, Jake's just ruined football for you. I think it's more so when you actually at the matches so it probably won't affect you so much well, non-league I love <laughs> <laughs> you know people and uh, I, I actually went uh, to a game you did a I real went, game I went to the Albion and we lost we did it's my fault apparently I got told that by quite a few people did you yes <laughs> Tony Mowbray's fault yeah I know Mowbray oh. ball yeah Mowbray ball miss you yeah, I do. And Diallo and Jack Clark are too good for the championship. Yeah. Really too good. Yeah. And all Brighton is not good enough for the championship. 100%, but I'm not going to start on him because I'd firmly shove him up the loft if I could. Have you got a loft FC? I have got a loft FC. I thought you might have, seeing as there's only us two. Yeah, it would be a bad segment, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would have just been for me to come and have a moan and then go. Yeah, and that'll be the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what I want to remove from football for good is something that I feel all football fans can relate to. What is it with corner takers not being able to beat the first man? When do you ever see a corner go too far, like right over the back and out of play? It's very rare you see a, a corner overhit, but every corner seems to be underhit. And I get wound up when I see Premier League football, Championship football, non-league football, whatever. It seems to be so often... It's ridiculous. Are these players, like, what are they doing in training that they can't kick a ball past the first man? Yeah, it's a fundamental of football, isn't it? Being able to, being able to kick the ball in a relatively accurate fashion. Yeah, and to be able to get the ball off the floor. But it's like the, the amount of players, when you consider some players that are so good at football, like these players, internationals, and they still can't beat the first man, and are. Honestly, the amount of corners that I watch that get me wound up. Yeah, I, I could be watching absolutely anything. It could be anything from Redditch United when I'm watching my seventh tier of football, all the way up to you watching Man City mm. and Mares doesn't beat the first man. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't understand what it is about football. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're getting paid, like you say, whether it's non-league, whether it's Premier League, if you're getting paid any sum of money to play football, you should be able to beat the first man. But why does it happen so often? I, just, I have no idea. I have no idea. This has bu- took me back to the um, the Fulham Leeds game at the weekend, where Mark Rocker was one of the only Leeds players who did get stuck in in that game. By the way, after what we were just talking about, um, came over just in front of the Leeds fans. They were losing two nil, and he had a corner, and he hit the first man, and the first man headed it out for a corner. And he did it again. And the first man headed it out for a corner. And he was right in front of the Leeds fans. And I have never seen 
a bloke gets so much stick from his own fans <laughs> just for taking a corner. But they were justified. Too right. right. Too right. He took a third. He hit the first man and went out. <laughs> he took a fourth. That went in the box. And the whole of the Leeds end cheered. Too right. It's so annoying. I'm so... <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, so there we go. I never thought it. But the Leeds fans that turned off earlier for our slander just tuned back in because yeah. we they, they, they get it. We yeah. understand it. Oh, there we go. That's what I wanted to remove. And I don't think it will ever be removed. For some reason, it just seems to no. always happen. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. It's like they're scared of... I don't know. Are they scared of beating the whole... Are they scared of... Uh, I don't know. Are they scared of overhitting it? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we need... Uh, we have got a few footballers that follow. So I'm going to go get in contact. I'm going to find out what it is about the first man that he's drawn to. Maybe it's because they're in that direct eye line and they just... But then that just sounds ridiculous. I'm finding excuses. It's just a joke, basically. It shouldn't happen. Is it the players in the box? Is Mate. there meant to be a player running across the first man with a glancing header? Well, Are they doing the wrong thing? But do you not think then everyone's doing the whole thing and somebody should be going, it's just starting to get ridiculous now. Like, yeah. Is someone actually going to Just put it in the area of the box where all of us are. Where the whole team yeah. is, literally. Oh, so I feel better for that. We've just insulated the loft. Um, there we go. Is it? You haven't got a second one, have you? Before we move on, just because I thought I didn't even ask if you got a second one. Because I'd only um, got I'd only got one. I haven't, but the oh. whole corner scenario has got me thinking. Zonal marking. Oh, that can be banished from football for me, for good. Now, this is the thing is with zonal marking that I read up quite often about zonal marking. Apparently, it is actually proven statistics-wise that it's better for defending. And I, I still don't believe it. I can't have it. Even when I read the stats, I'm like, the stats are wrong. Because I think it's because we see so many goals conceded where if you see just a good header, you don't think about the fact there was a good header. Mm. But when you see his own marking goal conceded, they look horrific yeah. because it's just a bloke on his own. Yeah, because it's a bloke who's been allowed to run from the edge of the area at full pace, get a jump on the defender. In a way, I feel sorry for the defenders that have been told to defend like it because what can the defender who stood stock still on the six-yard line, what's he meant to do? No, I know because against can't. the player who's running and jumped from three feet away. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree entirely. And they it. talk about having blockers. If there's four along the edge of the six-yard box and three blockers, three blockers can't block five or six players running in. That sounds like a riddle. Then, if three blockers can't block four blockers, five <laughs> blockers. <laughs> My brain then I was thinking, whoa, loads of numbers. Then how many blockers do you need to block? <laughs> But no, I agree entirely with what you're trying to say. Yeah. It, that that is something, but apparently so. It it is. This, I, I see. I, I saw um, Frank Lampard talk about it. Wild. I've watched videos on it. I've watched people analyse it. But I still, I think it's because you remember those zonal marking goals. You don't remember when zonal marking yeah. actually does something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they stood at the front post and yeah, they, it's they, just they, defending, isn't it? When when zonal marking stops a goal, it's just defending. When zonal marking is present for a goal. It's just, you blame those zonal marking. Yeah, because it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I understand that. I suppose. But I agree. Zonal marking, I would like to remove because it really winds me up. Mm. Because it just looks horrific when you conceded a goal. Yeah. Entirely. But yeah, no. I, I, do you know what? Zonal marking can be gone. One hundred percent. Cool. I rate that. I rate that. A little off the cuff. 
Oh, sometimes, sometimes they're the best. That just screams double pivot. And if you know that from last week, you saw double pivot. <laughs> double pivot. <laughs> double pivot. <laughs> Do you mean two players passing the ball to each other? Oh, <laughs> oh go watch that clip. It's on Instagram. It's on TikTok. It's honestly, it's really worth a watch because you just seen two lads just have a meltdown about double pivot, and I agree with them entirely. But they did sound, as Sai said in the comments. But they managed to wind themselves up. Yeah, because it wasn't even planned. <laughs> Sai commented on it. We sound like dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> and I saw it to Sai. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> but I completely agree with them as well. But I just didn't get as passionate. Passion. Passion. Um, I asked the listeners, by the way, how they would like to insulate the loft. And there's um there's a couple in here that I could I'm not gonna even give light a day to because the amount of people that want to remove spurs and put them in the loft. Oh, why would you want to do that? Be, <laughs> where would the hilarity be? What would we have to talk about week in, week out? I would say at least twenty percent of our answers this week have been spurs. Um now, one is FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley. Agreed. Completely agree. And that is a great shout. A.Chanara 2006. We've we've said this before. It's amazing. It, completely agree. That's spot on. As in, sorry, not having them at semi-finals. Sorry, oh my word, I've just completely destroyed my own brain. Having semi-finals at Wembley, I don't agree with that, but I agree with your statement. That should be removed because it's just ruining... It's ruining the, the the magic of the cup, in my opinion. Yeah, takes the novelty of Wembley away entirely. That that semi at the weekend, um, the Sheffield United game against City, it, there was empty seats everywhere. I don't know if that's to do with the fans not selling out their allocation, because I see every game at Wembley, the proper fans, like the 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 season ticket holders, say they get less and less tickets released to them every year. So are those empty seats because of fans not buying them or are they because too many have been allocated to corporate? corporate? Yeah. Which doesn't happen if the semi gets played at Villa Park, if it gets played at Man United. it's If it's at Old Trafford, there's 76,000 fans there. Yeah. If it's at Villa Park, there's 40, is it 42, something like that. Yeah. It's full. Yeah, no, I agree. Whereas it's rare for a semi-final at Wembley to be 90,000. No, I completely agree. And the next one sent in by one of our listeners, uh, the Bucket Hat Sam fan page. Way, I'm we're saying way. They're absolutely horrible to me. <laughs> they actually bully me more than the haters now. Because Still you lot funny though. Yeah, because you lot encourage it. Um, they said not wearing Keep home the good work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the listener sent in then not wearing home kits and away kits when the kits don't clash. So not literally a home versus away. I completely agree with it. Is that what they're trying to say? Have no. I, what are you do, have I misread what they're? Yeah, they're trying to say if you can wear your home kit at an away game. Oh, that's what it should be. That's what you should do. Oh, oh, I disagree. So say, so say, AC Milan were at the San Siro against West Brom. West Brom should be wearing their home kit because the kits don't clash. Oh, I disagree. I feel like that's saying you shouldn't wear away kits for the sake of wearing away kits. Okay, oh, but I. I... I I disagree with that. I oh, like I like home versus away. I think that's not. No, the whole... I, li- I like a classic. I like I like going away in your, in our home kit, like going to Anfield in our blue and white stripes. Love that. I get what you mean, but I just think the whole point of away kit. I just I don't know. It might be just me though. That that mm. might be me. Oh, okay. So there's a bit of controversy. Whoa! But it's hardly like you can't give the debate much chat. Other than... Also, to the 
person that sent that in, could you clarify? Yeah, could you let us know? Because actually? it wasn't worded fantastically either. In fairness, so we've both perceived it differently. So that's why it yeah. could be. Most likely, they probably agree with you mm. um, because they seem to pick on me quite often. So I, I actually think, <laughs> even if it wasn't worded in that way, that that's they're just going to agree with me. Yeah, you know? definitely, one hundred percent. But I, I like home versus away. I just think it's class. I love my favourite thing in football, and I love this because I see it often in non-league: blue kit versus red kit. I absolutely love it. It's just old school and all blue versus all red. Mm. I love it. It's so simple. I think yeah. like Sabuto kind of. But game. I like that when it's home and home. Like like what I just said about yeah. about the Albert. Like I loved it when like if we were at home and Man United had come and they'd be in their red, white, black. Do you know what? You've just convinced me. I'm now on your side. You've <laughs> I've completely just completely Jeez. gone the other way. Now when you put it like that. I completely agree with you because there's something about when your team plays like a Man United and you beat a Man United in red. Yeah, it is something different about it. I yeah. completely agree with you. It's actually. like a proper Man United. Like if we'd if we'd have been in the Premier League this season, say, and we'd have played Man United in that horrible lime green kit and beat kit. them, I wouldn't have been that bothered. Do you want know as I- if we'd have beat them in their classic red white black I can't believe I've just literally just jumped straight away that that you convinced me like I've literally just flip flopped so fast there it's ridiculous but I completely understand it and it might sound ridiculous but it makes sense yeah wow. so yeah I'm a fraud basically that's what we've just learned from that pretty much yep yeah <laughs> I mean Spiders. I don't think you needed to confirm for us but... oh cheers thanks lads <laughs> Okay, now on to the final part of the podcast, and this is a great debate, a juicy debate, one that has been requested many times by listeners. We are going to be going through uh, a list that was created by Joe, a nostalgia merchant himself. Shout out to Joe. Um, we're going to be going through the Premier League all-time best strikers and doing six. We've got sixteen players here, all with different numbers. We'll do the usual way we do it. It's a knockout stage, and we get down to two players in the final to decide who is the best player. And we're going to start off. Each player's got their own number. I'm going to ask Jake to give us a number, two numbers, and then they'll battle it out, and we'll discuss who's the better player. Okay, then can you give us a number between one and sixteen? Um, one. Number one. Okay, and then can we have another number, please? 14. So, Jackson number one. Oh, this Lord is a good Prince. start. A very good start. So, we have got Luis Suarez versus Van Nistelrooy. Who was a better Premier League striker? This is this is hard. I feel bad because I think of Suarez, I think overall was just a great player. Like, unreal player. Yeah, did a hell of a lot for the team as well. And dragged... That Liverpool team, that honk, that times yeah. to even to get into a, a, a title charge was mental. Yeah, like his competition up front was Andy Carroll. Literally, yeah. But Van Nistelrooy was just a goal machine and nostalgia merchant. Yes, and I looked at that stat about that player to have scored the mo- the striker to have scored the most goals in all competitions when they were playing in England, and Haaland broke. Van Nistelrooy's record. Van Nistelrooy had the record for that originally. And I think that's forgotten about that. Van Nistelrooy was like a great striker. But I think Luis Suarez is a that's great striker. That's impressive football. as well to hold that to hold that record for such mm. a period of time. In all competitions. Like it shows that he was <laughs> at a time he was and but no, you would ne- I don't think I ever would have said it would have been him. When I saw the the the, the stat, it was forty three goals in all competitions or something ridiculous like that. 
wow. at one point in 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 whilst he was playing for Manchester United. I just thought it was a great stat. Wow, yeah, it is a great stat. Because I'd have had that to be someone like Henri. Yeah, somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably going to say Van Nistelrooy anyway, but after that stat, I'm definitely going to say Van Nistelrooy. You're going to say Van Nistelrooy. I personally would have said Luis Suarez, but we're going to go with yours today. We're definitely going to go with yours. So we're going to send Van Nistelrooy in to the next round. Um, okay, then. you've I've seen you've cleverly done something that I never do. Write the numbers down so then you don't say the same one twice. Because <laughs> always... that always makes for good listening, doesn't it, <laughs> when we repeat ourselves? <laughs> okay, then. Can you give us two numbers again between 1 and 16? Uh, 6. Okay. And? 16. So... We have got Wayne Rooney versus Dennis Bergkamp. Who was the better striker in the Premier League? <laughs> Sorry, that's two again. Big hitters. It's all they're all going to be big hitters, obviously. Yeah, but that is. You asked the question before we came, before we started. Is Bergkamp in there as a striker? Um, and my reply, uh, you you were arguing sort of he was maybe more like a number ten or a second striker kind of thing or a second yeah. striker. But I was sort of saying the argument is you're either a striker or a midfielder. And Bergkamp, you'd never have him down as a midfielder, would you? So he has to be involved in the best strikers argument, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think for what Rooney did in his career in the Premier League, I'd still argue he was underrated even by... Man United fans and even by how much people thought of him I still thought he was underrated as a player as a footballer as a member of a team and as a goal scorer um, so for me I'd probably go with Rooney what do you reckon? Straight away Rooney yeah. I completely agree yeah yeah okay then that was an easy one yeah. next one then two numbers again please <coughs> uh, eight and ten eight and ten Robin Van Persie versus Fernando Torres. Who was a better Premier League striker? This is horrible. I'm going to go straight in. I'm just going to say Robin Van Persie instantly. I think Torres was great for a couple of seasons. That's the thing, isn't it? Give me that one season that he played for Liverpool. Oh, my God. The long sleeves, the Alice band, the the white tape, the red and white total 90s. Oh, God. Just yeah, great get in my bed. Yeah, great Just... memories. But Van Persie, but that was it. When he was at Arsenal, he was great, and then he went to United and he got the trophies. Stepped with Stepped up a level, yeah. Which we, I didn't personally think he could have stepped up again because he was no. great at Arsenal, but he was just missing that final, the winner, the winning mentality. Whereas he went to United and he just became a beast. He think... did. He did what Harry Kane could do. Yeah, 100%. made made. Arsenal such a better team but at that time they weren't in contention yeah went to a team that was in contention and just blew everyone else out of the water made that team that was in contention unbeatable yeah and some of the goals as well you think of some of them beautiful They're volleys absolute. against Villa watching them over his shoulder oh, gorgeous Gosh. Ron Vlaar absolutely Unreal. nowhere to be seen um, I could probably score against Ron Vlaar there, yeah to be fair. probably yeah that's yeah. Definitely out of pace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we all would. Uh, okay, then two more because I think we sorry we both just agree Robin van Persie there. We've just we didn't actually say it, but yeah, Robin van Persie wins that one surely. Um, 
What did you just Who say? Who was the other person? Torres. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was how much I thought Van Persie. Okay, then another two numbers. Um, seven. And two. Uh, oh, I feel bad for him here. Um, Jamie Vardy versus Alan Shearer. Who was a better <laughs> Premier League striker? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. Sorry, Jamie. I feel like we... I feel like a very underrated, a very underrated striker. And when you look at the amount of goals he scored, I think he's in the top goal scorer um, for a player over thirty. I think in, yeah. like, just in his career over thirty in the Premier League. Uh, it's impressive how he came to the fore at, at an old, at, at such a, an advanced age, having not done it in the Premier League before. Sort of was thrust into, came from non-league to playing the championship and then get promoted from the championship to the Premier League and then just instantly do it in the Premier League was so impressive but um, Andy holds the record for consecutive games yeah. scored in which is nothing which is nothing to be sniffed at but it's the Shearer. numbers don't lie do they and it's Shearer it's Shearer yep definitely I completely agree with you spot on I don't think I can add anything to that so should we do another <laughs> another yeah. two numbers yeah um, three yep uh, 11. So, who was a better Premier League striker, Jermaine Defoe or Nicholas Anelka? This is actually a little bit, I think it actually is a little bit more interesting than I initially thought when I looked at those two names. That's quite a difficult one in my opinion. Young Anelka was good though, wasn't Different it? gravy. You t- so good. You hear Ian Wright talk about him when he first came about and Ian Wright was saying that he knew instantly this was the end This was the end of his career at Arsenal. That yeah, like, and for someone that's as good as Ian Wright, Oh, or was over such a long period as good as Ian Wright to say that about a young kid that's sort of just coming through. There's some players that you just know straight away with, isn't there? And he clearly was one of them. Yeah. And he was destined to be a great from from minute one. Um, one of my favourite things about Defoe was that he was never built to be a footballer, yet he was one of those players... Never fantastic in the air, but always competed. Was always strong for his size. And one of the outstanding attributes that he had was he'd always take the shot on early. Yeah, and he was, he was just a bagsman, wasn't he? So I remember he always scored. I, I've seen him play loads of times live, and he always scored against us because he hit it early. Because we had defenders like Gareth McCauley and Craig Dawson, who were fantastic defenders. They weren't sharp enough with that one or two touch. Defoe would be shooting before they'd even sorted their feet out. No, I completely agree. And he'd be beating a keeper at the front post where the keeper's got no right to be beaten at his front post just because he'd taken that shot on half a second quicker than any other striker would have done. I completely agree. My favourite thing about um, Defoe as well is he did it on the big stage. He did it with Spurs at quite a high level. And not only that, I love the fact that he, he we discussed with a lot of players about these players that are very good. We say, can they do it in a relegation battle? Can they do it in a worse side? And you think about him at Sunderland. Exactly. He kept them up for a good amount of time and he really performed. Well, can they do it at a lesser side? Jermaine Defoe did it at Sunderland. Nicholas Anelka didn't do it. At West Brom. At West Brom. So, oh, <laughs> but surely, <laughs> oh, you've got the deciding vote here. Um, 
Let's go Defoe. Two more numbers, please. Um, four. Yeah. And thirteen. Oh wow. Okay. Two big hitters. One of the big hitters will be going out early. So who is a better Premier League striker, Thierry Henry or Sergio Aguero? Oh. Two big hitters. They're going out early. It always happens. I think it was we had Maldini or somebody like that go out in the centre backs discussion in the first round. Now this is what you, this is one that I find dif- really difficult to answer because I love Sergio Aguero, but short like Thierry. I think, they, I think they both had very similar legacies at their clubs, didn't they? Yeah. They Henri came in early in the Wenger era, same as Aguero came in early in the city, the era. city having money being a force era, um, and just year to year took their respected teams from strength to strength Um, Henri then left to go to Barcelona did it there came back a legend made an appearance in the FA Cup as a sub against Leeds I don't know that was just legendary vibes to score as well and just and to score as well, yeah. And I just think to you think of strikers, Premier League strikers, names associated with the Premier League. These two are up there <laughs> instantly, I think. They're both up there, but for me more instantly is Henri. Completely agree. I think Henri has got every attribute that Aguero's got, but excels in more. Probably, like everything yeah. that Aguero's good at, mm. Henri's got in abundance. Yeah. And Henri can do absolutely. You want anything from Henri, he could do it. Yeah, he scored any type of goal. Yeah, and could make any type of assist. Assisted so much. Like yeah. that's the other thing I think is completely underrated about him. But we're talking about it, so everyone now knows about it. Well, that's is that possibly why Bergkamp is in this conversation as well? Because Henri was just as good at assisting as he was at scoring, so he'd bring more goals for Bergkamp as well yeah probably mm. okay we solved another thing in football um, just, that's what we're doing this week we're just solving okay then can we have two more numbers please uh, five yes uh, twelve so now this is one I am happy to do who was the bet? sorry let me try again who is the better Premier League striker Didier Drogba or Harry Kane <laughs> oh god I love Drogba so much I, he was just such a unique player. He's exactly what Chelsea need right now. Yeah. Exactly what they need. Um, power, pace, raw ability. Early days at Chelsea, he was a bit of a diver and he got under people's skin a little bit, but he matured pretty quickly and just became a bit of an all-round striker, an all-round Premier League Great. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, Harry Kane, when we talk about all-round Premier League greats, as long as he leaves Tottenham this season, he's on track to be. He's on track to break the goal-scoring record. You know, if we're talking individuals, Kane's probably the better player. Drogba was a winner. Depends what you want, isn't it? Do you want a winner or do you want a better player? 
but this is better strikers. And I hate to say it, I'm going to have to go for Harry Kane. And as much as I'm one of Drogba's biggest fans, I love him. He's one of my favourite strikers of all time. I say it all the time. I agree. Big moment. Yeah. He lives for it. Yeah. FA Cup was his playground. Like, I say it all the time. We just took the mickey, didn't they? Yeah. I love him, but... Turn that Champions League final around on its head, on his own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's got to be... He let his country down, Harry Kane. <laughs> And then the final, the final battle. Um, who was a better Premier League striker, Michael Owen or Dimitar Berbatov? Natural ability. Well, no, they're, they're both players with real, real natural ability. Completely aren't they? different players as well. Aren't yeah, they? yeah. Um, I think a, a, a player with pace and the finishing ability that Owen had can galvanise a team and can be can drag a team from a losing position or can or can spark a bit of something special. I think with Berbatov, he was at Man United in that era where they were just greats yeah. all over the park. I think he's a highlight real merchant. Yeah. Dimitar Berbatov is. Yeah. I think people forget that when Berbatov wasn't absolutely killing it, he was quite frustrating to watch as a footballer mm. because he did have that side of I know it's really bad when you say lazy and things, but that really used to frustrate me about yeah. him. Whereas Owen, you know, he was tarnished quite a lot by injuries and things. But yeah. this bloke won a Ballon d'Or, like <laughs> this guy, like, you know, uh, yeah, in exactly. his career, like, and, and you think of some of the things he's done, yeah, I just, I think I'd probably be tipped towards Owen. I could agree with you. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think it's that close. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So next, we are going to put in then. Okay, so now, could we have numbers between one and eight? Going down. Um... Sorry, you've t- totally thrown me. <laughs> I've really asked a difficult question there. Uh, yeah, you have, yeah. Uh, one. Okay. An eight. Van Nistelrooy versus Rooney, who was a better striker? Rooney. They've both been there and done it for Man United. Rooney's probably been there and done it on a greater scale for Man United, so... If we're talking comparisons, then yeah, I'll probably agree with you on that. Okay, then can we have another two? Four and five. Harry Kane versus Michael Owen. Who was the better striker? <laughs> now this is. <laughs> I'm letting you do this one. <laughs> um. Well, Kane beat. Drogba on individual attributes Michael Owens won the Ballon d'Or the greatest achievement uh, as an individual as an individual you can win did Owen ever provide the assists that Kane provides did he ever do as much for the team as Kane does I think I'd slightly be tipped towards Harry Kane, you know, which feels ridiculous saying. If I had to pick one to play in a game for my team, an FA Cup final, let's say, for my team tomorrow. Oh, I'd definitely have Owen then because Harry Kane gets lost in finals. Um, but sorry, that was no need for that, was it? Sorry, Harry, if you're listening. Um, that was really brutal, wasn't it? That was a bit fast. <laughs> Well, that's just decided, it? then it's over. No. 
<laughs> so who would you definitely like then? You want Owen? Yeah. Owen, okay. Owen it is. Um, then can we have another two numbers, please? Um, two and three. Alan Shearer versus Thierry Henry. Who was a better Premier League striker? Two big hitters again. <laughs> Shearer. Shearer. I love Henry, but Shearer, nostalgia merchant, again, did it for teams that weren't even that good. Holds the Premier League record scoring for teams that weren't as good as Man United, weren't as good as Arsenal, weren't as good as Chelsea, but did it anyway because he was the best. You can't argue with what you've said there. That is that is true, what you've just said. Yeah. Bold. I'll rate it. I, I love Henri, but that's I love Henri as well. But... No, what you said there is 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 right. Okay, that and then the 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 final one is Defoe versus Robin Van Persie. Van Persie. <laughs> Could you imagine if Defoe had got into the fall then? <laughs> Henri had been knocked out. <laughs> okay then. So the final four. Numbers between one and four, please. One and two. Robin Van Persie versus Michael Owen. Who was a better striker? Michael Owen. Ooh. And Shearer versus Rooney then? Oh, Alan Shearer. Oh. Okay then, so the final. Jake, who was the better Premier League striker of all time? This is the final. It is Alan Shearer and Michael Owen. Um, it's Big Al. Yep. And there you have it. That is it. It's Big Al. That is us, that is us done. We've just we finalised it. It's official. Congratulations. I mean, it feels a bit boring that I've just picked the man with the the most goals. No, but we've discussed it. I don't it. like gone... to be a I don't like to be on a like a statistician football fan. But you've just done that. I have just done exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> no, we, but you've 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 provided more than just he scored the most goals. You did just debate it. He was a talisman everywhere he went. He was a winner. A winner. His mentality was unbelievable. I've heard people talk about him as well on 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 other podcasts that draw bigger guests than ours and not for long not for long um, and and they just don't have a bad word to say about him people I've heard people talk about Owen and the sort of he only sort of appeared on the pitch he was never really you know in and around the group which is fine but that's not a leader or really a winning mentality whereas Shearer, Shearer clearly obviously was everyone looked up to Shearer yeah no I agree spot on what a lovely ending Shearer congratulations you might be in the Hall of Fame but this is more important 100% this might be his biggest accolade yet yeah congratulations congratulations Al Jake thank you what an episode boys if you haven't already please smash the like button subscribe five stars smash it yeah, really hard. Really, Punch really your screen hard. now and give us a five star review, as always. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.